Welcome to the Resilient Mindset Podcast, an exciting new podcast by Resilience Queen, Justine Martin. Justine is the owner and founder of the Resilient Mindset, a division of the Justine Martin Corporation. Justine draws on her years of experience and knowledge, consulting with clients to develop and sustain a positive mindset. Focused on igniting your passion, purpose, and power, follow the Resilience Queen each week as she delves into the mind of her guests, exploring fascinating stories and inspiring journeys. Today, I've got with me Natalie Johnson. Natalie grew up on a farm in W in the WA Wheat Belt. From a young age, she was taught the importance of working hard and how to be independent. This was definitely needed as she became the Royal Australian Navy's first female pilot and the only one for eight years and continued to fly and mentor those following her for her 24 years of service. Natalie always tested the boundaries and stood her ground against those who believed she was unable to succeed. She had to prove her worth to herself first before being confident to silence her critics. Natalie successfully navigated being one of the youngest and most junior flight commanders in recent history, gaining the respect and friendship of many of those critics. Natalie is a trained accident investigator and leader who is passionate about sharing her knowledge and experience to eliminate preventable accidents, change cultures and improve diversity. Natalie is a mother of two, active member of Women in Aviation International Australian Chapter, the local surf club and on the board of the local community bank, CEO of an aviation startup and a human factors specialist. Wow, Natalie. Thank you. Welcome to the Resilience Mindset Podcast. Thank you so much. How are you today? Yeah, I'm really good, Justine, and thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. So let's get in a, into it. What does resilience mean to you? Um, I think for me, resilience is having that ability to accept and adjust to change. Um, so I think especially these days, change happens so quickly, um, much more quickly than it did when we, when I was growing up. I'll say I was growing up. Um, everything was at a slower pace. But now everything happens so quickly. So, and I think it's not just about adapting to physical, environmental change, but also those personal and professional changes you go through. Um, and for me, you know, resilience yeah. wasn't a word when we grew up. It wasn't something that came up. But I think it was about that level of independence and learning from your mistakes and um, kind of just getting to that point where you don't want to stop dwelling on your mistakes and having regrets. Like I'd love to be able to do that, but I think we all have those. So learning from those and being able to move on and take those into the future to enhance the way we make decisions and the choices and behaviours we have around that, I think that's what resilience means to me. It's about getting, being able to get on with things, even with all that stuff you've got behind you, um, and then trying to improve your behaviours and what goes on yep. around you as you move into the future. Yeah, that's that's a really good definition of it. So what's an adversity that you've faced and how did you overcome it? Well, I was thinking about this question when you sent through and I was thinking, oh, where do I start? Um, so obviously w when I joined the Navy, I was in very much the minority. So I spent a lot of my career, most of it being um, either the only female pilot or when I left, I was one of six female pilots. So there were more women in the environment. So it's just, there was a lot of adversity just in that space. Um, at the time, I don't think I really mm. recognized how much there was uh, just because 
I think, again, I was in that mindset of I just have to get on with it. And also when people said you couldn't do something, I wanted to prove them wrong. So I kind of drew on that inner strength that my parents gave me um, to actually then try and get through that. But then, you know, there's bigger ones that went through my career. We had um, a major aircraft accident where I lost some friends in that and getting back into flying after that was a real a real mental challenge to think about where I needed to be. Did I want to keep doing this? Mm. Because it was very, could have happened to me very easily. I could have quite easily been flying that aircraft. So it was a real challenge to get through that. And again, I think you sit back and take a look at why you want to be there and really assess the motivations behind what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go. So um, and that was it. And then again, I think later in life, when I tried, when I went back to flying after having my two kids, that was a real challenge because, you know, anyone out there who cares yeah. for someone who's got kids or parents they care for or something, mm. having to go out and do something for yourself professionally, I think because society still considers we should be at home as the mother or the caring partner, then. You know, you have that guilt that sits with you. But for me, I got through that by saying that I think even though that sat with me, what pushed me and got me through that was that thought in the back of my head that I am setting a good example for my kids. So that motivation, again, to drive through and to show them that as that parenting is a Mm. dual responsibility for everybody in the household. Um, And for me, I've got, you know, my part, my husband's. So we, it's a dual parenting is not just my job. It's both of our jobs equally shared as well as running the house is equally shared. Yeah. Um, for them to see that and also to see that I could do those things, you know, I could be a leader, I could fly and I could be a parent and a mother. Yeah. And that really motivates me. So I think for me, there were lots of little hurdles, some really big ones, um, you know, getting over the death of my father, which was really short notice. Um, which is very inconsiderate, even I just might add. But um, getting through all of that is that I think, again, it's those motivations and courage that you draw on and the strengths and you need those support around you as well to get through them. Yep, and asking for help, asking for that support yeah, and, and that help if you're not actually getting it is important. I think, and Justin, that's so important, and I'm really bad at that. So I'm so bad at asking for help. So um, that's something I have learnt later on. Me too. <laughs> Me too. So bad. And it's not a sign. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. It's a sign of strength to ask for help. And I think that's definitely true. And I think you know it's so easy just to say oh, I've got to deal with it myself and run with it. But actually having the courage to say, put your hand up and say I need help is a really hard thing to do, particularly if you've, mm. you know, you feel like you're very independent and very strong and you want to show that to then actually put your hand up and say, I need some help because I actually can't do all of these things on my own. Um, you know, it is, and I definitely agree. It's a real show of th- yeah. strength. And I think sometimes as women we don't do it enough. And I love helping my friends. So I should really, you know, you really have to realise how much they like helping you as well. Now, I think we're two peas in the same pod there, <laughs> Natalie, because I, you know, I hate asking for help, but it's like, oh, well, I've got to them and my tether, I now I'll ask for help. Why didn't I do that before and save some time and some stress with it all? 
So, um, so what coping mechanisms do you put in place when you're facing an adversity? Uh, again, I think I really sit down now um, and look back or have a look at why I want to do that thing and what it is that's getting me to the end point. If there's no, if I'm not really motivated, mm-hmm. I, it's been tough for me to say no sometimes. So if I'm not really invested in it and I'm hitting an, something that's adverse and I'm not getting through it, it means yeah. I probably realise I should have said no to it. So that's kind of one thing. When I was doing my training and things like that, I did a lot of visualisation, which basically we sit back and close our eyes and imagine yeah. ourselves in the aircraft flying the sequences and doing things. And strangely, I actually use that now doing actually things like this and and like speaking stuff or when I'm doing my instructional or workshops, I actually use that yeah. technique because it's almost like putting yourself in it and doing a rehearsal and running through it. And it really helps you um, iron out the little issues and find those little spaces because then if something throws at you from the side that you're unexpected, the unexpected change that pops through, you're actually in a better position to cope and then to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I belong to a writing group, so totally off tangent here, but I belong to a writing group and, um, one of the first weeks that I was going to it, um, she got us to close our eyes, sit back, close our eyes and visualise what our book would look yeah. like, so what the cover would look like. And then we had to visualise walking into a bookstore and seeing our book on the shelf and what colour was it, where did it sit, what size was it, how did it smell, all of that. And that visualisation of it then starts becoming a reality. And makes you easier to track your goals and to reach it and to, you know, if you're facing some adversity with that, again, visualise what you're trying to achieve and what you want to achieve out of it. I think and the visualisation really helps with your motivation to tick that through. So then when you're feeling low on that point or something comes in that you weren't expecting, if you go back to that initial visualisation of where you want to be and what the outcome is, like your book, you know, it it gives you another kickstart so you can actually increase because we all ebb and flow with our motivations so I I still use that now um it just I don't wheel my chair around the floor carpet anymore flying a circuit with my aircraft I just do it in a slightly different context (laughs) (laughs) that would be a hoot to see (laughs) uh so so who are some of your role models with resilience, Natalie? Uh, interestingly. And why? Why, why do they inspire you? Yeah, I think interestingly I went through a lot of this and, and everyone, a lot of people asked me in my career and stuff who my role models were. And, I, you know, to be completely honest, I didn't really have any initially and I didn't, I thought about that and think about this question. I think the one person that has been my massive role model and I'm really fortunate that she's very close to home. She's not famous. Um, she's tangible and I can talk to her as my mum. So she, you know, went through, she had an interesting childhood, not not really bad but challenging um, with where she sat in her family and the expectations on her. Um, but, you know, she brought my sister and I up in a challenging economic situation. Um, she did any job she had to. She had an amazing work ethic. And when things came at her and, and 
you know, really took her by surprise or massive change happened. She just was one of those people that you would see her be sad, which I think was a good thing for us. It's very healthy to see that. We try and hide Mm. that a lot. But it's good to see sadness. So we used to see her be sad and angry and all those emotions, but then she would find a way that she could find a positive way and look to the positive elements of whatever's happened, what she'd learn from it and move on. And that was definitely true when my um, dad died in 2016. It was really tough because we didn't get a lot of notice. One of those things where diagnosis and then end happened pretty quick. So it's been a hard few years for her, but I'm always so amazed with being able to see that and then and just see the way she's changed and adapted and reinvented the way she wants to be and be seen and have her life. And so I really draw on her strength yeah. to do things to then take the leap. Like for me, one of the bigger yeah. leaps is that's, well, that's amazing that, you, that you've got that. Yeah, and the bigger leap for me was leaving the Navy after 24 years of security and the security blanket of being in that institution for a long time to then put your hand up and leave and step out and try to do something on my own, I found that really hard. But um, having her support and other family support, my hubby's support and stuff, it was, um, they've been my inspiration. Yeah, that, that is huge to, yeah, that's a huge step, um, Natalie, to, you know, after 24 years, of, you know, the only thing that you've known how to do and then to break away. My son was army mm. and he did nearly 10 years and, and broke away. Well, he was medically mm. discharged, but, um, yeah, it. I know what he went through. Um, so I can only imagine, you know, with how long you were in. How did you cope when you got out? It took me a while. Like I thought I was okay because I'd been thinking about it for a long time and, I think part of me, I'd gone through the lack of identity and changing my identity when I had my daughter because I was no longer a flying helicopter pilot at that time. I was now a at-home mum for for the months that I was on maternity leave and stuff, and I really struggled with that loss of identity and that change. So I thought I'd be okay when I left, but I was fortunate because of the way I left, I was able to do reserve work. So I kind of stayed in touch with her and I did that as almost like a little safety net initially to stay in touch and keep going with parts of it. But now I've gradually kind of sat back and realised that there are other things I'm good at. So I've actually really sat down and reassessed what my skills are and what I can offer and that the Navy wasn't my whole identity and it's really being able to take more ownership of, yes, I am a mother, I am a helicopter pilot, I am a safety special. Do you know what I mean? That I am not just a Navy person. So there's, yeah. you know, I've got an identity outside that. So I think that was one of the things that I tried to move, but it did take a long time and a lot of veterans are the same. I think we all think we can just jump straight out and go, but it does take a long time to actually transition from that space. It does. And to not having people tell you what to do all the time, that you can actually think for yourself and make the decisions for yourself. And and that, uh, I know my son struggled with that because he went straight from, you know, high school. He was 17 when he yep. enlisted and then, um, you know, then into the army. And 
uh, then when he got out, like no one's going to tell him what to do anymore kind of thing. So did you feel the same? Yeah, I was a bit different because when I'd left, I was in a position that I was telling other people what to do. So that was probably a good thing. But just a simple fact of getting up in the morning and going, oh, I have to decide what I need to put on today because I'm not wearing a uniform. Like I wore a uniform every, nearly every day for 20 yeah. years. And if I wanted to go for coffee with friends or do something in a work day, I didn't have to ask someone's permission. I didn't have to ask permission to go on leave or visit my mum and stuff like that. So that took a while to get my head around that I didn't actually have to sit at my desk all day. If it was a nice day and the water was nice, I could allow myself to go for a surf because I was my own boss now. So those things took a long time for me to actually get comfortable with. But now I'm very comfortable with that and that's where I was this morning, went for a quick surf. So... (laughs) Nice. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. <laughs> so how long have you been out of the Navy now? Um, what year is it? 2022. So um, it'll be four years in August. So, um, yeah, so it'll be four years. It's taken a while. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's taken a while. Yeah. And yeah, and it would because, I mean, you've got 24 years of conditioning into something else. But, you know, in this life, we don't give up. We learn how mm. to modify, and that's what you've done. You've modified your life um, now into to you being your own boss and, and um, you know, inspiring others with your story. Yeah, and I feel very fortunate that, you know, my choice to change my career was a combination of not having the challenges in the Navy anymore. I felt like there was no job that I couldn't do, so I just went, well, I need to push myself further. I like to be challenged and find I like to be outside my comfort zone because I find I work better that way and I I just push myself that little bit further. But, um, yeah, so I was really happy but I was really fortunate that because of that change it also meant that I could give my children more opportunities with after-school activities and things because I was actually home more. I'm local. It's easy to interact and... For the first time in many years, I actually made friends in the local community because I couldn't do that before because I was always away at the base at work and not be able to do that. So that's made a big difference to that stuff we talked about before about asking for help because now I feel like I have people I can actually ask for help, mm. whereas before I didn't really know anybody to help. Yeah, and that that makes it really hard when you are facing an adversity and you don't have that support network around you Um, I've just done another podcast and we were talking about seeking external Mm. help and um, you know guys tend to shut down so much (laughs) and that old saying that you know boys don't cry and and to harden up and swallow some concrete and that where you know asking for help and if you don't have that immediate support network around you then looking for you know organizations like Beyond Blue and Lifeline and just picking up that phone and, and doing that first step um, can lead you to a much, much better life and and not being ashamed. I mean, the strongest people in the world ask for help. Yeah, exactly. And I think for me growing up or uh, growing up in country WA and then going straight into the military like your son from high school, um, I was very much in that environment mm. is um, crying is that sign of weakness um, you know, you should have that strength to 
to do anything and don't you should be able to do it on your own and things like that. So it was and you everyone knew their role. So there wasn't a requirement to ask for help because everyone did their piece of what they needed. So it, it took me a while to realize that I physiologically I can't not cry sometimes when I'm super stressed or there's a lot going on. So I just took a while to realize that. And then also it has taken a long time for myself and my hubby to ask for help externally because it it was that sort of thing that we can do this on our own. But, um, you know, you don't realise that impact that has on the kids and other people around you and your own mental health is when you try and stick it out on your own. Um, but then when you ask for help, you realise what a relief that is and having that little tiny bit of support, what a huge difference it makes to everybody because you're happier, the kids are happier, everyone's kind of fits in a little bit nicer. Yeah. Yeah, and that comes under self-care as well. You know, when you're asking for help, um, you're looking after your own self-care and then everyone else around you does benefit from that. So some great words there. With over 11 years' public speaking expertise, Justine thrives on delivering a powerful and empowering keynote to audiences of all sizes. From a packed room of 500 people to an intimate gathering of 50 people, Justin will command the room with her inspiring journey and engaging antidotes. Email hello at justinemartin.com.au to book Justine for your next event. So, Natalie, what are some things that you're passionate about? Well, uh, I think it depends sometimes of what I'm doing is where how passionate I am. I, I am really passionate about my family and bringing my kids up to be very rounded and very good human beings. Um, I think that's really important as a parent to, to that's my responsibilities to be who they are and how they behave is to making sure that they come and they're in the world and they're good. They're good people. Like they, you know, they're, they're considerate, they're empathetic and they consider that. So I'm yeah. really passionate about that from our little tiny little insular world. And then, Bigger than that, I've gotten more passionate about community because I'm in it now. As I said, you know, I do life, do the surf club stuff. I'm part of the community bank. I really enjoy that little opportunity to give back to because I spent so much time in that, you know, public institution and serving the community and doing humanitarian aid and disaster relief and helping out post floods and earthquakes and all those sorts of things. And so now in my yeah. outside life when I can't do that, giving back and being part of the community, um, it's my opportunity to still do those roles, to still serve and to provide. Um, the other thing is that enhancing diversity in the aviation industry, and I've been thinking about this a bit, is it's not just aviation. I think in any non-diverse industry, I think we need to really spread it, whether that's uh, whether it's a you know, male-dominated, um, Caucasian male-dominated, or it's um, even at the school gate that there's mostly women picking up kids like that. Those sorts of changes I think will make it so much better for the next generation and where we go. And the big one for me yeah. is I get really passionate and I talk a lot about <laughs> safety culture and organisational culture and the impact it has on decision-making, on safe workplaces, on how people interact with each other, the effectiveness of a workplace and how much and you can do just as an individual to change that space. 
uh, and how important it is to understand the why behind things when they don't go right because if we don't understand that history repeats and we keep doing things over and over again you know you, we see this in the environment in yeah. politics in everything is that we don't sometimes take long enough to look back and learn those lessons and continue them and keep that memory going to make sure that we improve things for later so that's what i get really passionate yeah, about right. um those kind of the, especially that safety message because there's so many avoidable accidents and we keep having them and i just you know it frustrates me so much <laughs> well at least someone is passionate and that's that's going to um implement some change in there natalie so well done uh, for you on that so um i've got some quirky questions for you now uh pineapple on pizza yes or no if it's a hawaiian yes anything else no it's only allowed to be on one top. <laughs> That's a safe option, yep. that one, the old Hawaiian. Uh, tea, coffee, chocolate or wine? Can I have all of the above or I have to choose one in particular? <laughs> <laughs> one? Uh, you can have all of the all above. All of the above. You can have all of the above. Uh, yeah, I do, I do like a bit of dark chocolate, but that's the only thing. So it yeah. has to be dark chocolate. Oh, see, I'm allergic oh. to chocolate, so that's not good <laughs> for me. <laughs> What's your favourite band? Oh, see, I fluctuate with this. Um, favorite, I was very lucky to see Paul Kelly on Friday night in Canberra, which was nice. So I'm a bit of a – I like um, Paul Kelly's bit of a favourite, but um, also Peking Duck. And um, I've got the kids listening to a bit of Safia yeah. and uh, Vance Joy at the moment as well. So a bit of a random mix around this household. Nice. <laughs> nice. What's your favourite food? I have to go back to my favourite childhood food, which is roast chicken. And does the loop paper face forwards or backwards? Oh, what, which way do you make it go over the top? When it comes over the top, do you say that's forwards or backwards? Uh, forwards, forwards then, forwards, 100% forwards. Yeah. <laughs> I change forwards. them the other way if they're the wrong way around. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Me too. doesn't matter if I'm in a stranger's yep. house or not. Got to flip it over. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Natalie, thank you for joining the Resilience Mindset podcast today. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, Justine. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. And remember, listeners, until next time, stay resilient. Building resilience is a key life skill, a skill everyone needs to work at consistently. Life can throw us curveballs from sickness to job loss, death and no purpose. But it's our inner strength to get back up, navigate the journey of change and build ourselves back up. If you'd like a free 30-minute one-on-one conversation with resilience coach Justine Martin, email yesplease to hello at justinemartin.com.au. We hope you enjoyed the Resilience Mindset Podcast. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to get your weekly fix listening to Resilience Queen Justine Martin. Follow Justine on social media at Resilience Mindset or log on to justinemartin.com.au. And until next time, remember, life doesn't get easier or more forgiving. We get stronger and more resilient.